Welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Church. Covenant Grace Church is one church meeting in multiple locations. This message was recorded at our Menifee campus. Father, as we talk about our union with your son today, Lord, we pray that you would give us great joy in it, Lord. Um, we know that as we assemble as, as your family, as your children, that you desire to, to feed us. And so we come here excited to hear from your word, Lord. We know that you love to feed your children, you love to bless your children, you love to encourage your children, Lord. And so here we are, your kids, waiting to hear from you. And uh, Lord, I pray as we you know, study this idea of um, our union with your son, Lord, that you would um, live through us, live through me as I speak, Lord, speak through me, give me the words that, that, that they need to hear from you. And I pray, Lord, that on the receiving end, Lord, that you would cause their union with your son, Lord, to, to enliven them to live out the things that are here, Lord. We don't practice these things alone. We aren't sent out alone, Lord, but we live in and through your son. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're in this series, this uh, series in Galatians called Finally Free. And uh, we're seeing how the gospel message is a message of freedom. And I need to remind you guys where we're at. Um, we're in, second, uh, we're in um, Galatians, the second chapter, chapter 2. And what happens in this chapter, starting in verse 11, where Vanessa read, is that Paul has to confront Peter. And Paul confronts Peter, apostle to apostle, in a very public way, in a very blunt way. And, and the reason for that is, is that Peter was eating with Gentile Christians, but then when some legalistic teachers came down, from James came down from Jerusalem, he started backing away from table fellowship with, with Gentile, non-Jewish Christians. And um, you might think, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is, is that in that ancient time, and even today, eating together is a way of showing acceptance. And so what he was doing when he was eating with the Gentiles is he was showing that they are acceptable before God based on faith in Jesus alone. They don't have to take on the Mosaic Covenant, and the men don't have to get circumcised, and they don't have to eat the way that Jews eat to be um, accepted before God. And so when Peter was doing that in the beginning, he was eating with him, and then later backs away, what he was doing is he was contradicting the gospel. He was sending a mixed message. He was sending a message that somehow these Gentile Christians were unclean still because they weren't taking on all the laws of Moses with the food laws and all these other things. And so um, when these legalistic teachers came to town, what they would teach is they would teach that you needed faith in Jesus plus keeping the Mosaic law to be acceptable before God. And when Peter backed away, he was basically giving credence to their, um, their false gospel. And so Paul, in verse 14, he says he saw that their conduct was not in step with the gospel. Um, and so he rebukes them openly about it. And, um, and what he's saying is he's saying, hey, this message that you preach, you're contradicting it with your life. Now, the question in the section that we're in now is, is, is the question of if we're acceptable before God based on Jesus' righteousness alone and not our own law keeping, will, will that make people just sin more? Will that make people just live any way they want to live? And I think this is a message that we all start to think. I mean, maybe over the last few weeks as I've talked about justification by faith and that we're made right with God just based on faith in Jesus, not of our own works. You might think, well, people hear that message. They're just going to live however they want. And that's what we see here, this objection that's being made in verse 17. He says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? You know, and, and these, these false teachers would have thought that that's exactly what was happening with Paul and Peter. They were living as outlaws. 
You know, they were, as Jew, Jewish Christians, they were living as outlaws. They were eating who knows what with who knows who, you know. They were living as Gentiles. And, and these false teachers would have seen this as Jesus leading these people into sin. Of course, they weren't. But you might have that question, too. You might say, does the gospel message make people more likely to sin? I mean, it's almost like you won the spiritual lottery, right? You win the spiritual lottery, and you know, you're never going to work for God another day in your life, right? If it's all based on Jesus, if it's not based on our righteousness that makes us right with God, then what's going to make us want to live for him at all? I mean, if, if, to change the analogy, if Jesus gives us total immunity from punishment for our sin, is he somehow aiding and abetting sin? That's the question before us this morning. And, um, and I'm going to answer this question. I'll tell you what Paul's answer to this question is. But first, I'm going to make the problem a little bit worse. Okay, I'm going to make the problem a little bit worse because what I want to show you first is how thoroughly we've been freed from relying on our own goodness, our own righteousness before God. First, the gospel tears down our righteousness. Look at verse 18. He says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. The gospel that Paul and Peter preached tore down the righteousness that his listeners thought they had by keeping the law. It's as if every Jewish hearer had this little um, kind of little tower of righteousness that they were building up, this little tower of Babel righteousness. And it was all based on keeping the Mosaic law. And when Paul and Peter preached the gospel, it would just level their towers. They just totally gave it up. They tore it down. They came to see that the Mosaic law had earned them nothing before God. But when Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles, he was contradicting that, right? It's almost like he's building it up again. He's building up what his preaching tore down. First Peter you know, tells the Gentiles that they're saved by faith. That tears down the Mosaic law as a way to God. Then he used the Mosaic law as a way to accept people. You know? He's saying, well, you know, I'm not going to eat with these Gentile Christians because they don't really keep the Mosaic law. Then he's building it up again. So he's building it up and he's tearing it down again. And what Paul's saying to Peter is, you know, you look crazy because you built up this righteousness when you were living under the law. You built up this righteousness of law keeping before God. Gospel comes in, tells you that won't get you anything. It's demolished. And then when these legalistic guys come to town, it's like you're building it up again. You know, why tear it down and build it up again? You need to pick a path. Either you trust totally in your own law keeping before God, or you trust totally in Jesus and what he earned for you. But you can't go back and forth. You know, they're not compatible things. Um, you guys remember back in high school, there was always that couple that broke up every other week. You guys remember that couple? This total drama every other week. They're, they're on again, they're off again, they're breaking up every other week. And there was total drama, and eventually we all lost interest, right? We're like, pick a path. Pick a direction. You're either in or out. We're tired of dealing with it, right? That's kind of like what happens, guys, when you go back and forth between your own law-keeping and trusting Jesus' law-keeping, right? It's either Jesus' righteousness or your own. And, and to go back and forth makes you look kind of crazy, right? And it creates a whole lot of drama in your life. It creates a whole lot of you know, emotional instability, huge swings. I mean, if our sense of God's acceptance and love for us is based on our shaky performance— you're emotionally going to be up and down. You're going to think God loves you one day when you you know, think you're doing well, and then the next day you're going to feel like you're totally abandoned by God because of your sin. You know? When we feel good and we're, we're blind enough to think we measure up, we say, oh, I got this. Have you ever had that thought? Like, you know what? I'm doing pretty good now. I used to be the kind of person that needed a ton of grace. I remember that. I remember that I was constantly burdened by sin and lots of grace, but now I'm doing pretty well on my own, and I'm kind of like one of those guys, like, save the grace for other people, because I'm doing pretty good, right? Then when you're blind enough to think you're doing well, you feel good, right? And then what happens? You fail in some major way that you can't really deny, and you're crushed, right? You're crushed. Your failure exposes your sin. 
And what, what, what we're learning here is we need to stop trying to build up the self-righteousness that the gospel tore down. Don't try to build it up again. That little Tower of Babel you used to look to to make you feel right before God, let the rubble lay where it lays. That's what he's saying. Move on from it. Or to go back to the high school couple example, you need to finally break up with trusting in your own righteousness, right? You need to break up with him. You're better off without him. There's somebody better for you, and that somebody's Jesus, right? Or if you want a stronger example, look at verse 19. He says, not only do we, do we need to break up with law-keeping, but the law actually already killed you. I know, it's kind of dark. Look at verse 19. This is a bad boyfriend. For, though the law, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. He's saying that somehow the law has killed you. If you're a Christian, the law no longer is able to condemn you because as far as it can tell, you're dead. Isn't that interesting? It's a really interesting idea, and it's several places in Paul's writing. Paul's saying that the law actually killed him. Look at verse 19. He says, For the law, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. If you're a Christian, you are legally dead to law-keeping as a way to be right before God. How did this happen? Well, he says a little bit later in verse 20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. Apparently what happened is, is that the law killed you on the cross. You think, that seems so odd to think about. How would the, you know, I wasn't there. You know, Jesus was killed on the cross. I wasn't there. This is something that happened in 33 AD. How could I have been crucified with Christ? How does that work? Well, when Christ was crucified on the cross, your old self was crucified with him. How can that be? Well, the answer, guys, is union with Christ. God sees us when you first come to trust in Christ. He not only forgives you, he unites you with Christ, and he sees you as if you're one person with Christ. Isn't that mind-blowing? It's called union with Christ. The Bible refers to us as Christians only three times, but it refers to us as in Christ about 165 times. You don't notice them, because over and over again, they'll say, in Christ this, in Christ that, and you don't notice that little word, in Christ. What does that mean? It means that you're actually united with Christ. You are in him in a spiritual way. You are connected with him. It's this amazing wonder that's like hidden in plain sight. Once you go back and you look for it, you find it everywhere. It, it's meant for us to see that we are, when we trust in Christ, we have been united with Christ. That's the way you're supposed to see yourself. And I have a diagram about it. Why not? This is the school's whiteboard. So I have one too. Everybody should have one. Um, but this is the school's one. It just appeared like two weeks ago, and I thought, you know, we need to use this thing, and it just so happens is the right time. So our union with Christ. Our union with Christ is, has three components. First one is it's spiritual. It's a spiritual union, and I'll explain what that is. A spiritual union. It's not a physical union. It's not a visible union. We're united with him spiritually by the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual union. You can draw like... I think this is a good, like, symbol. We're united by the Holy Spirit. This is like the, the Calvary Chapel dove, right? Um, that, yeah, there we go. Just like that. I feel like that painting guy. You know, when I have a bad day, I just put a little, I just put a little cloud over it. You know, I just put a little flower there. Uh, what's that guy's name? Yeah, Bob Ross. Okay, I'll try not to be him. Uh, hair's getting bigger every week. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a spiritual union. It's also a legal union, and I'll explain what that is. But it's a legal union. I'm going to make a little scales. You know, little legal scales here? So it's a legal union, and it's an organic union. You guys like that, organic union? You know, you guys are like, oh, yeah, organic, that's great. It's probably not what you mean. think it means. Um, but I have a little plant there, right? It's a little plant. Okay, so our union with Christ is composed of three things. Union with Christ. Okay, 
spiritual union, legal union, organic union. Spiritual union, and then it's not physical, but it's, it's a union we have with, with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. It's legal in that we are, because we're united with Christ, legally entitled to everything that Jesus has. Okay? So we're going to go through all these. But we're legally entitled to everything Jesus has. It's a legal union. And then it's an organic union. Organic union meaning that Jesus' life can actually flow through us, through the Spirit. So I'm going to go through all these because I think these are super important. But first, it's spiritual union. So we're united with Jesus, not physically, obviously. You know, we don't see a, a connection. Jesus is in heaven. He's ascended. He's physically and spiritually, physically, in heaven. You're physically here. So how are you united with him? You're united with him by a person, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in you. The Holy Spirit's with Jesus. You're connected. Older authors talked about the, uh, the union with Christ is that, G- that the Spirit is like the umbilical cord that connects us to Christ. So we are constantly connected to Jesus via the Holy Spirit. And, um, and we're bound together with him so that wherever he is, we are. And I want to show you a passage that shows how wild this is. God thinks of you as being wherever Jesus is. Ephesians 2.6. This is a crazy verse. He says this. He says, God raised us with him, with Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Now, what's weird about that is the tense. We've been raised with Christ, and we're seated with him in the heavenly places. And you're thinking, like, no, I'm seated on these, like, junky chairs. No, you're seated with him in the heavenly places. Why? Because you're united with him such that you're wherever he is, and he's wherever you are. In Ephesians 5, 20, uh, 29, it talks about how Jesus nourishes and cherishes us because we're members of his body. Jesus thinks of us as his own body. Spiritually, we're connected with him in that way, that his body, we are his body. We're not just Jesus' followers, we're his body parts. Anything that is done to us is done to him. And that explains passages like Matthew 25. Remember Matthew 25? When he says, whatever you've done to the uh, least of these, you've done to me. Right? He considers us a part of his body. Or you could think about in, in Acts 9. You guys remember in Acts 9? He said, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Right? God views us as a part of Jesus' body because we're united by the Holy Spirit. Martin Luther said this, By faith you are so cemented to Christ that he and you are as one person and, and you cannot be separated but remain attached forever. Union with Christ, guys, also works retroactively. That's why he can say that we were crucified with Christ. How were we crucified with Christ? We were crucified with Christ because we're united with Christ. We're united with him such that everything that has happened to him and done to him is credited as if it's been done to us. This is an objective reality, guys, for every single Christian. You're permanently united with Jesus in a real way. And so there are really four things nailed on the cross in 33 AD. You remember what they were? Jesus' body. There was a sign that said King of the Jews. Colossians says our certificate of debt was nailed there. This passage says you were nailed there. Your old self was crucified with Christ. I know you guys are like, wait, what? You know, like, did I not drink enough coffee? No, this is hard. This is something that's a, it's, it's an amazing thing. And part of the reason it's hard for us, I think, is because we tend to think when we think spiritual, we think metaphorical. You think, oh, you were spiritually. Oh, okay, then it's metaphor. It's not metaphor. It's real. It's in the spiritual realm. You're really united with Jesus because the Holy Spirit's a real person. Okay? You just can't see this reality, but it's real. It's more real than anything physical here. If the Holy Spirit's the one that connects us, he's more real than anything in this room, right? You are united with Christ in such a way that you were crucified with him. And so what Paul's saying is that at the cross, the law did its worst to your sin. It killed you. 
and now has no jurisdiction over. You are dead to law-keeping as a way of earning favor with God. If you're in Christ, you're united with him spiritually. You're also united with him legally. When we talk about legally, I got the legal one here, right, with the little justice scales, right? Our legal union with Jesus is a lot like a marriage union. So in a marriage union, it's a covenant relationship, just like you have with Jesus. And in a marriage union, everything that the other person owns, you own. Everything they have, you have. You're legally united with Christ such that everything that he has is yours and everything you have is his. Philippians talks this way. In Philippians 3.9, Paul says that uh, it talks about being found in Christ with a righteousness that is not his own. When you became legally united with Christ in that covenant, you were, you've become legally entitled to everything he earns. Isn't that amazing? All the things he earned. And really, his whole personal history is your personal history. That's what he talks about. Crucified with Christ and all this. Jesus' personal history, his record of law-keeping, his record of obedience is now yours. That's the way to think of yourself. Um, so a healthy self-image for a Christian, guys, is to think of yourself in Christ, the way God sees you, that everything that Christ has ever done and ever has is yours. And so it's a spiritual union. It's a, it's a legal union. It's also an organic union. You guys are like, oh, I like organic. It's not that kind. Okay? Organic means life, right? Think about organic chemistry. It's chemistry related to, like, life. Um, it's carbon-based chemistry. Um, organic means life. And see how much there's life in this passage. Look at verse 19. There's five times he mentions live and lives. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Do you see all that life and lives? This is about living, right? We're united with Christ such that we can live in a new way, right? He says he died to the law, not just so that he would not no longer you know, keep God's law, but he might live for God. Do you see that? He said he's been crucified with Christ so that Christ can now live in him. He says the life that he lives now, he lives by faith in the Son of God. It's about living, that's what this organic union is. You being united with Christ, not just so you can have all the benefits of his life and death, so you can be made right before God, but so he can live through you. You being united with him so he can live through you. That umbilical cord example is a really good one, right? Because it's life-giving. It, and this is about your everyday living, guys. You're living with your family and your friends and your neighbors and the people you work for and with. Your everyday communion with God, too. Paul is saying that we can experience Jesus living through us every day. Isn't that awesome? Because we're truly united with him. The Holy Spirit allows Jesus' life to flow into your mind and your heart and your bodies. It is no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. Remember in verse 18, you take a look at verse 18 and 19. Paul was saying that he had totally given up, right, on relying on the law to be right before God. Totally given up on it. He died to it, right? What he's saying here is he's also totally given up on the law as a way to help him live for God. You have to do both. You have to give up on the law as a way of being right before God, and you have to give up on the law as a power to live for God. And you say, well, what's the law for then? The law is a huge blessing, guys. The law shows us that we need Christ. The law shows us how to intelligently love God. But see, what the law does is it tells us what we should do. It doesn't give us the power to do it, right? I got an example for that. Think about it, train tracks. Okay, the law is like the law is like train tracks, right? It shows us where we should go. These tracks show us these things like husbands love your wives, or things like do everything without grumbling, 
or forgive one another, or love your enemies. These are train tracks. They show us where to go. They don't give us any power to do them. And that's why just memorizing verses that tell you what not to do will not change you. It's just the tracks. What's the power? What's the power? What's the engine, right, that helps you to move down those tracks? The engine of it is Christ living in you. You know, the law can only show you what you should do, but it's Christ living in you that gives you the power to actually move down that law, right? Guys, God's law was never meant to make you right before God, and it was also never meant to give you the power. It just shows you the direction to go. What did Jesus say about this? Remember John 15? John 15? He said this. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Isn't that a powerful image? That's organic union, right? That you're, you know, he's, he's the, the vine, and you're just like a little branch coming off of it, right? And then all the little fruit, all the little grapes and the leaves and all that come from the life of the vine, right? It, it's, it's as if, you know, there's this image of like grafting. Have you heard of grafting? You can take different parts of plants and you can plug them into another plant. It's as if we, as these like kind of dead branches with no fruit, have been, a little slice has been made in the vine in Christ, and we have been united with him when we came to trust in him. And then the cool thing happens, this dead branch has no fruit or anything, the life starts to course out of the vine, out of Christ, in through us, and it pushes out all the deadness, right? And then you see leaves and you see fruit and the, the grapes start popping off, right? To do that louder, I have to put my finger in my mouth, which you don't want to see. But the fruit comes, right? It's coming from the vine. That's our organic union with Christ. It pushes out the deadness. Isn't that awesome? Don't we need that? Don't you feel like that? Like Monday morning, you'll feel like that. You'll feel like you know, you're off to go to work, or you're at home with your kids, and you're thinking about your week, and you're thinking, like, I am just a dead, withered branch. You know, like, this weekend didn't really fix me. You know, I'm still that. Well, what do we need to do? We plug in. We abide. Abide means to hold on to. It's like holding on to Jesus for life and his life flowing through us. And when we do that, when we abide in Jesus, when we hold on to him in that way, his life flows through us. And so suddenly, you know, like to use this example, the train's able to move down the tracks and you're being pushed along by a power that's not your own. That's what it means to be united with him. Calvin said this, I love this. The Christian does not have his own life, but is animated by the secret power of Christ so that Christ can be said to live and grow in him. Isn't that awesome? That's organic union with Christ. That's how the burden is made light and the yoke is made easy, right? It's by union with Christ. It's by abiding in him. It's by him living through us. And guys, this is a part of the good news. Because I could just every week tell you justification by faith and I could just every week tell you that it's totally Christ's righteousness that makes you right before God and that's gonna stir your heart and you're gonna feel good about that. But at some point you're gonna go, you know what? I need to change. If you're truly born again, if you have a new heart and you have a new life, you yearn to be free. You're like, I, I know that I'm forgiven, but I need to be set free from this. I can't stand living like this anymore, right? That's the Christian experience. I mean, you know, Romans 7, it's like, I got to break out of this. I can't keep living this way. And this is the good news that not only is your penalty taken away in Christ, but the power of sin is going to be broken down in your life over time as Jesus lives through you. It's the good news that you don't just get forgiveness, but you get freedom. And it's a process. It's a process of learning how to abide in Christ and learning how to live in this union. But listen to how Paul talks about union with Christ. I mean, um, 2 Corinthians 4.10, he said this, the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Isn't that amazing? The life of Jesus manifests in your bodies. 
You know, isn't that amazing? Just think about like Jesus, the Son of God, because of our union with, with him, that his life is in us, in your carcass. Your carcass is animated by a life that's not yours. Isn't that awesome? He talks about it in, oh, I love this one, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. And then I love this, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about the other apostles, by the way. <laughs> he goes, by the way, I worked harder than all those other guys. And they're probably like, wait, what? You know, like, do you guys realize that Paul covered about 15,500 miles as a missionary? He did 6,800 miles by boat and 8,700 miles by foot. <laughs> he did work a little harder than some of the others maybe, right? You know, but he, says, but he says, I worked harder than all of them, though it was not I, but it was the grace of God in me. He's like, that was Christ living through me. He's like, I don't even know how I walked that much. It was crazy. I felt like I was being pushed along by something. That something was the life of Christ in him. I love Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s. He says all kinds of things. I mean, he's like orphan house and seminary and preaching all the time and all this crazy stuff, responding to all these letters and everything. Somebody said to him, like, he said, Spurgeon, like, how do you do all this? You do so many things. It's just amazing, all the stuff you're able to do. And you know what he said? He said, don't forget there's two of us. And he never explained it. <laughs> so I don't know if he had a twin. No, what he's talking about is he's talking about Jesus in him. He's all, this wasn't me. Don't forget there's two of us, right? I love a friend of mine um, has passed away now. His name was Will, and he was a mentor of mine. And he always talked about abiding in Christ, like every single time you saw him. It was awesome. This is one thing. Why not make that your one thing, right? It was great. I remember one time he said to me, he goes, Eric, you don't do ministry. Jesus does ministry. Sometimes he does it through you. Isn't that great? You don't do ministry. Jesus does ministry. And sometimes he does it through you. That's the way to think about it. It's Christ in you. I love Philippians 1.8. Listen to this. Paul says this to them. He goes, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ. Okay, he's not saying there that he loves them like Jesus loves them. He's saying he loves them with Jesus' love. I yearn for you with the affections of Christ. He's saying that by his union with Christ, Jesus' actual love is filling his heart and comes out through him. He says, God is my witness, right? Or what about this? So we can actually have Jesus' emotions for people. It's amazing. Or 1 Corinthians 2, 16, he says this. We have the mind of Christ. Because of our union with Christ, we can actually have his thoughts. Guys, this is so much better than thinking like, here's Jesus' life. Now just try really hard to imitate him. No, there's a way in which to abide in him that he lives through you. This is incredibly good news. You can have Jesus' thoughts. Don't just like, you, wouldn't it be great to not just try really hard to act like Jesus, but to actually have Jesus' thoughts and emotions for people and then act just naturally out of those? Doesn't that sound awesome? That's what's available in union with Christ. Uh, or Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. A lot of times we go, oh yeah, that's fruit of a Christian life. No, it's not. Read it again. It's the fruit of the Spirit, right? It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is Jesus' attributes transmitted through the Holy Spirit into your life. It's his fruit. It's this fruit, right? It's the fruit, the popping sound I made, right? It's Jesus' fruit through us that when we abide him as dead branches, his life begins to sprout fruit through our lives through the Holy Spirit. It's this organic union, guys, that allows Jesus to have his life flow through our minds and our hearts 
and, and, our, and our bodies. And we can have his love, we can have his patience, we can have his forgiveness, we can have his emotions for people that organic union makes that possible. And it's the answer to the question in the beginning, right? You know, if, if we're saved just by Jesus' righteousness alone and our law-keeping does not add anything to that, then, then won't people just sin more? Won't Jesus just be a servant of sin? Remember that question in the beginning? If salvation is given as a gift by faith and it's not earned through law-keeping, won't people just sin more? He says, certainly not. Why? Because when you came to faith in Christ, you not only got his righteousness, you got his life connected inside of you, and that's going to come out of you. Isn't that awesome? And that's going to give you guys a kind of keeping God's law that is far more attractive than all your efforts have been. Far more attractive, because it's going to be Jesus' life. He says in verse 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. It's not like Christ's life, it is Christ's life. And so you get asked, like, how do I experience this? You know, he doesn't say in this passage. Yeah, how can I experience this more? Because we want this. I was talking to a guy this week, and he's like, he's like, I think we could do this maybe like all day. And I was like, that sounds great. Let's do this all day. How do we do this all day? You know, like how do we learn to do this? And he doesn't give the answers here, but he does give them in Romans 6. And so I'm going to steal the answers from Romans 6. And realize, guys, this is not the complete thing because what I'm about to talk about, I mean, this is what discipleship is about, right? Discipleship is learning to do all the things Christ has commanded by the power of the Spirit. So this is something that we give our whole lives to figuring out, right? This is something, this is the thing to study, right? This is why we gather together in small groups. This is why we gather together one-on-one is to learn this thing. But I'll give you kind of a brief sketch of it, right? Brief sketch from Romans 6. First thing you need to do to live out this organic union is you need to know that you're united with Christ. I think most Christians don't even know. That's the first step would be to know it. In the beginning of Romans 6, he goes, do you not know that you have died to sin and lived to God? You know, like, we don't know. We don't know about this union with Christ. We might have this vague sense of Jesus has come to live in my heart, but then that's confusing because, like, wait, Jesus has a body, and he can't fit in there, and he's up there. Like, what's going on? Well, it's union with Christ, right? It's our organic union with Christ through the Spirit. Study this, guys. Go through Ephesians and look for every time it says in Christ or in Jesus. Look for the word I-N, in, right? In Christ, in Jesus. Study, Rome, uh, study John 15. Awesome passage about that. Study Romans 6. Jesus says, if you abide in my words, that you'll abide in him. And so we need to study it. We need to know it. Secondly, we need to consider ourselves united with Christ. In Romans 6, he says, you know, reckon yourself, consider yourself dead to sin. He's saying, consider, reckon, believe that you're united with Christ and act on that basis. I think we don't do that very often. We think of ourselves as, you know, kind of out there just trying to do the best we can to follow a perfect instructor. And, you know, we're kind of like getting banged up all the time, which is going to happen either way, right? But we feel alone, right? What, he, what we need to do is we need to remember that we're united with Christ. That's what it means in verse 20 when it says to live by faith in the Son of God. It means to live in a way that we consciously look to Jesus on a moment-by-moment basis for him to live through us. You know, so that when we're presented with a challenge, whether it's temptation or weakness, that we would stop and we would consider ourselves connected with Christ. We just like stop, okay? Like we're going to like, I'm going to take care of it. No, 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 no. Stop. Remember that you're united with Christ. Remember that the Spirit connects you with Jesus. Remember that his perfect righteousness is yours. Remember that his life can flow through you. And then ask for it, right? We need to ask for it. Um, in Romans, he talks about presenting yourself to God, right? You present your bodies as instruments to God. Isn't that cool? Like, we used to present our bodies as instruments to unrighteousness, says, but we can present our bodies to be lived through by Jesus. 
You know, think of instrument. You know, you think of that dead branch. It's like, I'm presenting myself. So you do that in the morning. When you wake up in the morning, you present yourself. You present this body. And you might feel like a carcass. You could use those words. You'd be like, this carcass, this body, this body that's just a shell and can't do anything. Lord, cause your son to live through me today. And then throughout the day, reminding yourself. I don't know how you're going to do that, but coming up with a way to remind yourself. Um, my mentor gave me some prayers that I would use a lot, which is prayers like this. Like, Father, here's my body. Let Christ live through me today. Give me your son's affections for people, Philippians 1, right? Like, I don't just like, need to work really hard to try and love people. That always seems to turn out really poorly. I need Jesus' love to flow through me. Give me your love. Um, give me your thoughts today. You know, give me Jesus' thoughts in my mind. Um, give me Jesus' words. You have a difficult meeting maybe. You have to confront somebody. You have to deal with something. You don't go alone. Remember he said to his disciples that we're going to be persecuted and stuff? He said to him this. He said, do not be anxious beforehand what you'll say, but say whatever I give you in the hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit speaks. What is that? That's organic union with Christ, right? That's him giving you words. Pray for that. Give me your words for people. Give me your ears for people. Help me to hear the way you would hear. Help me to have Jesus' ears and eyes for people today. Give me Jesus' peace. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What is he talking about? He's talking about organic union. That Jesus is not worried about what you're worried about. You realize that? Like, you know, we've got all kinds of worries, but he doesn't have those worries, does he? Why doesn't he have those worries? Because he knows he has a plan, and he's got it all kind of worked out, all the little, like, angles and how this whole thing's going to come together for his glory and for your eternal joy. And so he's not stressed out. You know, if you, no, none of us have a vision of Jesus just like tearing his hair out, like freaked out about things, right? He is completely at peace. And so what we're asking for is we're asking, Je- we're asking the Father to give us Jesus' peace. Give me his peace. That's what it means to abide in him. You've been listening to the weekly podcast of the Menifee Campus of Covenant Grace Church. If you'd like to know more about Covenant Grace Church, visit us online at covgrace.org.